This is a special episode of Effing Shakespeare, recorded in collaboration with the 2021 AWP Conference and Book Fair. We're thankful to be the official podcast for AWP for a second year and have invited a gallery of guests that you don't want to miss out on. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you interviews of amazing writers sharing about their amazing work. Enjoy. I'm Jessica Cole. I'm Fulu. I'm Kate Martin-Williams. And this is Effing Shakespeare. By writers. For writers. Craig Santos Perez is a native Chamuru from the Pacific Island of Guam. He is co-founder of Ala Press and the author of three collections of poetry, most recently Habitat Threshold. He is the recipient of many prizes, including the 2011 Penn Center USA Literary Award. And he's an assistant professor of English at the University of Hawaii Manoa, uh, where he teaches Pacific literature and creative writing, as well as directing the creative writing program. Also, I wanted to shout out to his gorgeous blog. We, of course, want to talk to you about your latest book, Habitat Thresholds. And I'm wondering if you plan to have it come out in April 2020, a month after after shutdown. Thank you so much, Jessica. And thank you, everyone, for having me. It was not planned at all. It just, you know, I've been writing it since about 2014, coincided wow. with the birth of my first daughter and the kind of rising awareness of, of climate change with the uh, Paris Agreement. And so those two topics of you know, climate change, environmental justice, and parenthood all coincided. And then you know, the book was published right during the pandemic. My kids' schools were shut down. You know, I moved to, to teaching remotely. And every book event I had planned was canceled. And so... I know. And so even though the, the book itself does not talk about a pandemic, because I never imagined uh, one would happen, as you, as you say, it does, you know, speak to other issues that led to this pandemic, which mm-hmm. is very unfortunate. Yeah, I'm, I'm so struck by your, your environmental activism in poetics. I wouldn't say it's unflinching because you're actually flinching. <laughs> And you're also brave enough to keep looking at things and and make these incredible connections between humans and and our environment and this abundant tropical beauty of of Guam and of Hawaii twinned with its destruction and desecration, which of course mirrors our own. For people who, who might not be grounded in the environmental aspects of things as you are can can you where do you think the movement is heading now and and how do your poetics intersect with whatever changes have happened in the six years that since you started the book yeah it's definitely you know so much of the book is about you know expressing my own anxieties and concerns about both the environment and you know the the planets and future that my daughters are inheriting but at the same time, it was very inspiring and empowering to see both local and global movements for environmental and climate justice, you know, mobilize around the world. Here in Hawaii and the larger Pacific, I've been involved in those movements and also made connections to, to other 
places that have similar struggles. Thankfully, you know, the movements are, have been very creative. And so, you know, every time I attend, you know, either a climate march or an environmental justice event, you know, I often will read my poems at these events and there'll be other artists and musicians singing and contributing their own visions to help us understand what's happening, but also, you know, to, to envision a, a different, more sustainable future through the arts. And so, you know, for me, that's, that's kind of the activist dimension of, of my work. And it's also very important to my teaching since I teach courses on, on environmental poetry as well, kind of encouraging my students, you know, not only to read and write poetry, but also then to think about how we can contribute to the movement as, as poets and artists. So it's so cool. And I feel like, I mean, sure, there are lots of ways to be involved, but for artists, I mean, to not have to leave artistic aspirations, uh, you know, to check them somewhere else, to bring them with us, is just, it's so empowering. I guess in, this leads me to thinking about your invented form called recycling. Um, you use form in your poetry a lot and it's very intentional, but I'm, I'm really curious to hear you de define and describe this recycled form. Definitely. So there are several poems. Did you name that or did someone else? You named it that, right? I did. I did yeah. name it that. And, you know, there are many other writers who, who will write poems after another poet to uh -huh. signify that, you know, they've, in, they've been inspired by that poet or a particular poem. And of course, I write those kinds of poems as well. I kind of see them as, as remixes in other contexts. But for this book, it made sense to call them recyclings because I really am taking, you know, the form of older poems and then putting inside this form different content, just as we would might recycle materials. And so, you know, I thought that was a fun way to link it to the environmental issues as well. You know, so for one example, I have a poem that recycles uh, Pablo Neruda's famous love poem, Sonnet 17. And in that poem, and in, in all of his love poems, really, he uses uh, metaphors of the natural world to describe the body and desire and eroticism and sex. And, you know, so I, I wanted to recycle that in our contemporary context and think about what if I use climate change metaphors to talk about, you know, eroticism. And so my poem is titled, mm -hmm. uh, Love in a Time of Climate Change. And it's, it's a sonnet that uses uh, his translated syntax. I kind of follow his, his grammar and stuff. Another fun one is uh, recycling a Wallace Stevens's 13 ways of looking at a blackbird. My poem is 13 ways of looking at a glacier. And of course the Stevens poem is all about, you know, changing our perspectives to understand more in a more complex way, something like a blackbird. And, you know, these past couple of years though, really what so many people are trying to look at and understand are of course glaciers. And so I wanted to, I thought using that kind of multi-perspective idea to think about glaciers would be interesting. And then the funniest one is a recycling of William Carlos Williams's, this is just to say his very famous poem about plums. Uh, I replace his plums with impossible burgers. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, so I tried to, to, tried to have fun with it. 
but then also make a commentary on how much you know the world has changed since these other poets were writing and to think about how their poems can help us understand our world today even though it is so different that's so great can we i don't recycled or not can i can we hear some of your poems now <laughs> yes okay i have one pulled up already it's it's not one of the recycling, but maybe after this poem, I could, I could find, I'll find a recycling poem. Okay, this one is called The Last Safe Habitat. And there are a lot of poems, actually a whole section in this book about human and animal relations. And this poem is, is about a Hawaiian, native Hawaiian bird called the Kauai O'o, whose song was last heard here in 1987. It's called The Last Safe Habitat. I don't want our daughter to know that Hawaii is the bird extinction capital of the world. I don't want her to walk around the island feeling haunted by tree roots buried under concrete. I don't want her to fear the invasive predators who slither, pounce, bite, swallow, disease, and multiply. I don't want her to see paintings and photographs of birds she'll never witness in the wild. I don't want her to imagine their bones in dark museum drawers. I don't want her to hear their voice recordings on the internet. I don't want her to memorize and recite the names of 77 lost species and subspecies. I don't want her to draw a timeline with the years each was first collected and last sighted. I don't want her to learn about the Kauai O'o, who was observed atop a flowering ohia tree, calling for a mate day after day, season after season, because he didn't know he was the last of his kind. Until one day, he disappeared forever into a nest of avian silence. I don't want our daughter to calculate how many miles of fencing is needed to protect the endangered birds that remain. I don't want her to realize the most serious causes of extinction can't be fenced out. I want to convince her that extinction is not the end. I want to convince her that extinction is just a migration to the last safe habitat on earth. I want to convince her that our winged relatives have arrived safely to their destination, a wondrous island with a climate we can never change and a rainforest fertile with seeds and song. That's beautiful. Thank you. I, feel, I don't know how that one looks on the page. I don't remember, but so many of your poems feel like islands on a page. Like they're often either shorter lines or, um, you know, cl little clumps of lines with this sort of ocean of white around them. And sometimes that ocean of white is comforting and opposite of <laughs> some of the, the terror in the poem. And sometimes it is the terror sort of encroaching. And I, I really enjoy your poems on the page. They, they seem very painterly hmm. as well as, as poetic. 
And that also makes me, I, I need to ask you this question about punctuation, which is mm. when you put we slash our slash us, it almost always, I feel like is in brackets. Is that true? Mm. Or am I reading too much into something? Okay. Yes, that's true. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I have my theories, but since you're here, I'd rather, I'd rather, of <laughs> course. <laughs> In my books, I want to think about who we mean by we and us. You know, oftentimes these terms are, are built on a lot of assumptions and exclusions. And so, you know, for me, I wanted to create a poetic space in which the reader can ask that question, right? Who is this we? Who is this us? And because I bracket it, you know, I try to use that, you know, typography to just draw attention to it. Uh, though I never really explain it. And so, you know, in this new book, you know, it's similar in the sense that I want to think about, you know, kind of global we's or what is an us if we're thinking about multi-species justice, for example, or who is the we when we think about kinship with other people that are different from us? And how can we articulate a we that is more inclusive and diverse in which we always care for each other and, and take care of each other and, you know, imagine each other as, as relatives. And, you know, in the bird poem I just read, I talk about the birds as our winged relatives. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's how we think about other species in Pacific cultures and of course in other indigenous cultures. And so I, you know, I kind of want to try to cultivate that relationship and that kinship throughout my writing. I really love that. It also, I, I also felt like they were, it was separating out the human in kind of a, it reminded mm. me of being in the San Diego Zoo where, and there are probably other zoos that do this, where I'm the one in the cage bus going around where the animals <laughs> I feel like is the way all zoos should be, so. I'm caged in my brackets, <laughs> mm. going, you know, having the experience of your- Yeah, I love that interpretation. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I'd love to hear about your press and also this poetry album that you co-star on, Undercurrent. Sounds really cool. What's that about? <laughs> yeah, so about 10 years ago, I uh, teamed up with an awesome uh, Hawaiian poet named Brandy Nalani McDougall. And we started kind of a micro press called Ala Press, which is the only press in the US to publish exclusively Pacific Islander literature. And we kind of started it because there was no spaces for Pacific writing really in, in the US. And so, you know, we published maybe just one book a year. And so at this point we have a, a catalog of just about 10 single author, collections and anthologies. And we've been really blessed to be able to publish a lot of wonderful Pacific writers and uh, to receive a lot of support in our community because there really aren't enough uh, support for our literature and not enough books for the kids, you know, in the classrooms or at home. Yes. And so that's, that's that project. Brandy and I also collaborated on, on one poetry album uh, it's called Undercurrent, and you can find it actually on iTunes. 
it's an album of us reading our poetry, but we also collaborated with these two musicians who who kind of experiment with the uh, compositions. And so it's just more of an avant-garde spoken word album. It's it's really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about I think it's about nine ninety nine on iTunes, <laughs> and it, it's well worth it. There's a lot of tracks, and then I, I have a second solo album which I, I recorded myself which is is me kind of reading so, a selection of poems about Guam and, and my my Chamorro culture and so that one is actually on Bandcamp and that oh, one nice. is, is free although you can you can donate which will go towards me putting together maybe a third album someday that's great I yeah. love that Please read us another poem, please. <laughs> <laughs> All of my books are, are in my office at, at the university. And unfortunately, I haven't been there in about a year. <laughs> and so I, I'm just working off my computer at this point. So I only have my new book. But let me read the poem I mentioned earlier, Love in the Time of Climate Change, Recycling Pablo Neruda's Sonnet 17. I don't love you as if you were rare earth metals, conflict diamonds, or reserves of crude oil that cause war. I love you as one loves the most vulnerable species, urgently, between the habitat and its loss. I love you as one loves the last seed saved within a vault, gestating the heritage of our roots, And thanks to your body, the taste that ripens from its fruit still lives sweetly on my tongue. I love you without knowing how or when this world will end. I love you organically without pesticides. I love you like this because we'll only survive in the nitrogen rich compost of our embrace. So close that your emissions of carbon are mine. So close that your sea rises with my heat. So much, yes. That's my my Valentine's Day poem. Is it it getting hot in here or is that just global warming? (laughs) Ruda and climate change. (laughs) That's frying my impossible burger right there. It's sizzling, <laughs> sizzling hot. <laughs> Thank you so much, Craig. It was amazing to talk to you and and to be introduced to your poetry. I'm I'm a huge fan from from now on. So I hope we meet again. I hope we all meet again in the real life, in person. Yes. You know, whenever that is. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for those thoughtful questions, and thanks to all of you for for setting this up and for supporting supporting writers during these difficult times and you know I just it's just so nice to see people and engage with folks even though I'm so far away it seems. It's good to have you and we wish you all the best with Habitat Threshold and and as you move forward. Mahalo thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a live recording of the Effing Shakespeare podcast by Bloomsday Literary at the 2021 AWP Conference and Book Fair. Effing Shakespeare is a production of Bloomsday Literary in association with Houston Creative Space. 
hosted by Kate Martin Williams and Jessica Cole, and produced by me, Fulu. Our trusty and hardworking intern is Sanditi Sedan. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever podcasts are found.